Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to Psalm 101? Psalm 101. Okay, do me a favor. It's, um, Roy, can we bring up the house lights just a little bit, please? Let there be light. Um, as we come to the Word of God, we are coming here with open hearts. The time change is always a weird Sunday because, first of all, everybody's watching to see who gets here an hour early, which I didn't really see anybody, so that's well done on the time change. But also, um, you feel more rested, but everybody feels thrown off, right? So everybody feels a little weird right now, like, man, I just can't quite gauge things. So you got to wake up your spirit a little bit, right? Bear with me. Wake yourself up a little bit to come to the Word of God, because as we come, the Word of God is going to sharpen us, and we are going to be closer to Jesus. Good? So let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that you would cut to our hearts through your word. Lord, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ according to all that you've said. Lord, that your covenant promise would come to us. Lord, that we would stand on you, on your gospel. Lord, make us closer. I know it's not even possible because you have indwelled us by your spirit. But Lord, help us to see you, to know you, to walk with you. Lord, sharpen our senses that we would honor you well. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to have a, um, a teaching here on Psalm 101. I'm going to read it for you. Before we do that, I'm going to tell you something a, sm a smidge alarming, so just bear with me, okay? I was watching one of the Narnia movies with my kids. I don't remember which one it was. Watching one of the Narnia movies, and it was not The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe because they had already been to Narnia and, and like lived a lifetime and come home. I'm looking at the English teachers because they, they all know. And so uh, it was Prince Caspian or one of the other ones. Anyway, so in this Narnia movie, if you've ever seen them or read the books, they're, they're excellent. Um, these kids have come to this kind of magical world, and they've already lived a lifetime, and they've ruled this world. And now they've come back to England in the 40s, 1940s, and they are kids again. And so they're sort of dealing with this wrestling with, I lived in maturity and did a lot of things and ruled nations and now I'm just the kid going to school. And so one of the kids in particular keeps getting into fights and getting into trouble because he keeps trying to rule. He keeps trying to jump in and, and he calls a spade a spade and when he sees things that are unjust, he jumps in and does it, but he's just a kid. And so he gets beat up. And so in this particular scene in the movie, this, the, the girl and her brother are walking together and the other brother, who's the one that's always getting into fights, is in a fight. And so they round the corner coming to the little train station where they're going to meet up together. And here's the boy you know, engaged in a fist fight with like five kids, five other boys that are bigger than him. And so the brother immediately jumps in. No questions, no anything. He just defends his brother immediately. And I, I paused the show and I looked at my sons and I said, if you ever see your brother in trouble, you don't ask questions. You don't find out what's going on you jump in and defend him. Now, I'm saying that, this is where it's a little dangerous, right? I'm talking about physical things, and we're gonna come to the Bible, and the Bible says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, right? So don't go out and start fist fights. That's not what I'm saying, <laughs> all right, to be clear. But the Bible is also pretty raw, and our culture has lost some of that rawness. Um, I went hunting with Phil Lorman one time, the first time I ever went hunting. And I, by the way, I've been hunting deer seven times and I've never gotten a deer. I'm probably the worst hunter ever. But it's just so cool. Anyway, 
So I went hunting with Phil Lorman. Phil Lorman's, you know, lived on an Indian reservation and amongst Indians, and he's a, he's a mountain man. Like he's for really a mountain man. And so and so I'm going to tell you something again. That's a little. Just bear with me, okay? We're going to come to the word. Everybody's we're, God's good, okay? But I'm hunting, and I didn't get a deer. I got nothing. But his son Joel, who's uh, was there out hunting with us. Joel had his little boy with him. The little boy had his little BB gun, you know, and he's showing him the ropes and stuff. And so they got a deer. And so Phil brings the deer, immediately starts cleaning the deer, and runs inside and cooks the heart of the deer and brings it out for everybody to eat, eat the heart. He goes, if we were on the reservation, we'd all just bite it. But I cooked it for you. I know, everybody's looking at me like, ugh. Here's why I'm telling you that. Kids, us, our culture nowadays, we don't, we're not around that stuff anymore. And so here I am, and he's like, eat this heart. And my first reaction, and now I'm, I'm hunting, right? Again, I've never actually gotten anything, but I'm out there hunting, camouflage ready to go. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> you want me to eat it right now? Okay, and it's cooked with onions and seasoning. I mean, he, he did it up. But, but Phil, mountain man, and they live on a farm. So when they're gonna have chicken for dinner, they have that chicken for dinner, right? And when I have chicken for dinner, I go to Taco Bell and order the chicken one, you know? Or I go to the grocery store and it's all packaged, ready to go. Or I get the frozen one, it's even cooked already. This is so great, you just throw it in, it's done, or DoorDash, they bring it to you. So that's awesome, I, we're so far removed from some of the ickiness of what it is to really have these things. So I'm telling you these two alarming things because as we read this passage, it's going to seem a little bit alarming of how God acts and what he does. So let's read Psalm 101 together. Here's what it says. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Praise God for his word. Most worship songs start with that, I will sing of the steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. In verse 1, man, isn't that great? You can hear it already, can't you? We can make some songs of this. Then you get to the last stand. This is a song that was sung in church. The Psalms were songs, actual songs. This one David wrote. The king wrote this one. And he ends his main verse here, morning by morning, I will destroy the wicked in the land, cutting off the evildoers from the city of the Lord. I don't know how that beat goes exactly, but everybody's singing that. And it doesn't, like, this is not going to be a great Joy FM song. Because nobody ever says, ooh, how can we soften that a little bit? This seems a little rough. This is a little too mountain man. This is a little too, if you see your brother in trouble, you better start swinging. But it's, 
it's that, what do we do with that? Notice in this passage, this is written by the king. The actual king writes this. Did you know that God had intended for Israel to have a king? That God had always planned for a king in Israel. Turn with me in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy at the very beginning here. Deuteronomy 17. Starting here in verse 14. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. And then he goes on with a bunch of, of requirements of these kings. These kings are supposed to not be a foreigner. The king is not supposed to um, gather a bunch of horses or chariots or go do a bunch of business with Egypt because they've come out of Egypt. They're not supposed to have a bunch of money. They're not supposed to have a bunch of wives. They're supposed to write down a copy of the whole law. So basically, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy at this time. Write it out. It's got to be supervised by the priests that this is a good copy, which means you can only have a couple mistakes. So there's no whiteout. So if there's a mistake, line through it, put your initials. You're allowed three <clears throat> total in the whole thing as you copy this over. Otherwise, you start over from the very beginning. So the king is going to write this out. He's going to have it. He's going to dwell on the law every day that he would be careful not to walk to the left or to the right, but he would stay right in the center of what God has commanded, and he would lead the people well. This king that is supposed to rule over the people is somebody that God appoints and chooses. And that's the problem, really, when Saul becomes the king of Israel, because the people see this guy, and they're like, you know what? He's so handsome. He's so tall. He's taller than everybody. Man, he, look, he'll just, he looks like a great, you know, he looks really presidential. I mean, kingy. He looks really kingy. And so we should, we should get this guy. And so they go after Saul, and they try to make him the king. And the Lord says, okay, I'll let you, I'll let you have him. And Saul is not a guy who's going to lead the people well. Eventually comes this King David. The Bible says of David that he's a man after God's own heart, which we usually translate that to say he's somebody that really cares about what God cares about. But really, the better way of saying that in the Hebrew is he's the one of God's choosing. He's the one after God's own heart, that God's heart was set on him. And so he became the choice that God had for Israel. And he was the run to the litter. He was the one that was out helping with the sheep. Did you know that the sheep, the shepherds, was such an undesirable job that you could not, in Roman times at least, you could not uh, testify in court if you were a shepherd. You were not deemed smart enough. So being a shepherd, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, people are like, okay. Basically, I am, I, am, I am the good dishwasher. You know, it's like, I am the good, what, I mean, pick a job nobody wants to do, sewage maintenance person who jumps in the sewage. Like, those are gross, right? And lots of opportunity. You can actually make a lot of money. Anyway, <laughs> by, uh, <laughs> something else here. No student loans. Sewage worker. But this is not a great position, and so David's out there with the sheep. So when Samuel, the prophet, comes to anoint the king, put the oil of the Lord on this king, this guy who's going to rule over the nation, the man after God's own heart, God's choice to be king, 
he goes down the whole line of all the brothers, tallest to the smallest. And he says to Jesse, are you, are, is there anybody else? And Jesse says, oh, well, there's David. But he's, yeah, I put him with the sheep. You want him to come? He smells bad. You want him to come? Yes, I want him to come. And the Lord says, that's him. And what an amazing moment. And so now the guy writing this psalm is David, who's the king that God's chosen, the king who's going to bring Israel into a, a new era of understanding his love poured out for them, a king who's going to be a covenant bearer to unfold the love story that God has with his people. What a great honor that is. And he writes this psalm, and it's kind of militant at the end of the day. In Psalm 101 here, as he's going through these things, he's talking about steadfast love. He's talking about justice. And then he starts to talk about himself. In verse 2 through 4, he starts to really just explain about these things that he's doing. He's pondering about the way that's blameless. He's walking with integrity of heart. He's not setting anything before his eyes that are worthless. You ever set anything before your eyes that are worthless? It's easy to do, isn't it? You ever set anything before your children's eyes that are worthless? Easy to do. He hates the work of those who fall away. It will not cling to him. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Now, we know David's story, right? He, he fails. He knows a lot of evil in the end, unfortunately. But here's a man who's the choice of God, who's human, and who fails. But he's also one who seems to believe that his calling is something different than just leading or holding things over the people. We see this in the way that he treats the former king. We see this in the way that he treats the former king's household. So in this time period, usually you kill everybody. Instead, he honors them, even though they could be rivals to the throne, that he provides for them and loves them. We see this in the way that he Trust that God will give him an ascent to the throne in God's timing instead of trying to militantly kill the, the previous king who is trying to kill him. David will go through life and have to feign being insane. He'll have to live in an enemy place pretending to be totally crazy to escape his own king who's trying to kill him. David is going to be one who's going to know the loyalty of men that far exceeds anything he could ever hope for. That with one heart... They would even hear the whisper of his intention. Little things that he would say, man, I wish I had this. And they would risk life and limb to do anything for King David. Not just because he's a great guy or a great musician or a neat fellow. He's the runt of the litter. He still smells weird. He was acting crazy the other day. It's because God had chosen him. And these people saw something. They saw something that God was doing that was bigger than what one man was. And David ultimately would take all that loyalty and throw it back in their face and murder one of his captains because he wanted his wife. And he got caught in sin. And there was a baby involved. And what was he supposed to do? It's a sad thing. But this psalm is not just about David loving justice or wanting to be one who really loves justice or desiring that he would be better. This psalm is about a king who is still coming, what the king is supposed to look like. Because God, from the very beginning, from Deuteronomy 17 in the law, had an intention of a king who was to come, and that king is Jesus. And Jesus would come and be the king. But Jesus would do things really differently. Jesus would 
embody all of these things. There's no evil in him. He has nothing worthless before his eyes. He roots out all the bad things. He's the kind of king that we want to be. He's the kind of king that we want to have over us. Psalm 101 tells us about this king that's coming. And man, it's this guy. If we had good leaders like this, what would, what would our city look like? What, our na- what would our nation look like? Would that be amazing? Can you even picture it? It's hard even to imagine what this would look like, really. But Jesus is that king. He's the one who's going to come. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has come and entered into Jerusalem. He is going there to die. He is going there because he knows that it's the Father's will that he be crushed for our iniquity that he would be slain to save us. He goes there, he cleanses the temple, which is a violent action in which he drives out people who have changed the temple from a place of worship to a place of business. And then he comes, and in verse 23, some things happen. Let's read Matthew 21, verse 23. Here's what it says. And when he, that's Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders and the people came up to him as he was teaching, and they said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, then he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, then we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't, we don't know. And he said to them, Neither then will I, will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then in verse 28, he kind of turns to the crowd. He says, What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first son and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But then he did not go. Which of the two sons did the will of the father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to do what is right, do for, God, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. This is an interesting passage. You know, these same Pharisees, in just a couple chapters, are going to lead a little, group, a little group of Roman soldiers to a garden and arrest him to take him to the cross. It's the same people. And Jesus doesn't jump into a fist fight. Now, he was physical when he drove out the money changers, turned over tables, kind of whipped those guys with a little whip and ran them out and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus, he's being challenged here. Here's the crazy part, ready? Jesus is the king of the world. He's the rightful king of the Jews. He is the Lord over all things. The Bible tells us he's upholding all things by the word of his power while he's also talking to these people. He's the Lord God forever. 
And they're coming to question him. On whose authority are you doing this? What, what work is he doing? He's healing people. I mean, that's pretty bold to walk up to somebody that just did a miracle and be like, excuse me, uh, whose authority are you doing that on? I mean, would you like to try? Go for, you're up. Go for it. I, at that point, you know, what are you going to even say? This is, there's no question here. Really, you're either just going to believe him or not. And so they don't believe him. And that's what he's challenging. But does he do it with fists? Does he send, he's got a whole crowd of people. Does he go thrash everybody? Do they start beating these guys down? Not at all. What does he do? What do you think? He kind of tells them a little story, throws questions back at them. Ultimately, he's bringing them to truth. He's not mincing words either, though. What happened to John the Baptist? He was beheaded. He died a horrible way. Where were the Pharisees? Where were the authorities? They were kowtowing to the government authorities who were doing horrible things. Why did John get beheaded? He's proclaiming the kingdom, but do you remember what the offense was? He called out Herod because Herod was deviant in a lot of ways, in marriage ways. And there you go. You're welcome. Deviant in marriage ways and was... Um, seduced by his niece who was doing an inappropriate dance in front of everybody and then tricked into cutting off the head of a guy he was afraid would actually make a revolt happen. But he gave his word. What a weird circumstance. And the debauchery of that whole scene, here's the teachers of the law. On whose authority did you heal that person? Where were they when the deviancy was happening? Where were they when the truth should have been proclaimed? Where were they when they should have stood up and said, hey, this is unjust? Where were they when people were literally being murdered for no charges? Oh, that's treasonous. Cut his head off. Why? Because he questioned you? And Jesus doesn't throw a punch. He doesn't start a revolt. He doesn't start a riot. He just asks some questions. Here's why I'm telling us this. Jesus is so great. He's the king of the world. He's over all things. By his blood we're saved. By his stripes we're healed. Jesus Christ is everything. And we have slipped, I think, in our culture into two places. The first place is we're so far removed from what real violence looks like that sometimes when things happen, we are so slow to intervene or do anything or have a an opinion or whatever, that we just lose our moment. Sometimes we are more like the Pharisees than we are like Jesus. Things happen and we want to be quick to ask questions. Whose authority we did? Did we do that the right way? Did it happen the right way? Instead of actually just telling the truth. Secondly, in our culture, we've become so accustomed to the pre-wrapped chicken that we can get, the easy, convenient things that to actually jump in when there's a fight happening, it's unheard of. It's actually dangerous. I, I'm telling you right now, I, especially with this on the camera, I almost wanted to turn off the camera because then I can just say more things, to be honest with you. But for everybody at home, you know, one sound bite ruins people. Ruins people. And I told my kids, if you ever see your brother in a fist fight, you better jump in. That sounds 
wrong without context. Some of you are thinking that's wrong, period. We can talk about that later. But the reality here, though, is if the kingdom is engaged in a fight and it's not against flesh and blood, look how Jesus did it. He didn't go having a riot, so I'm not telling you to do that. But if the kingdom is engaged in a fight and the king's agenda is in danger, the king's proclamation, his reputation, his way of doing things, his administration is being challenged. And his church, who are his ambassadors, his bride does not stand up to defend her husband, then what are we doing? And the reality is he is being challenged every day, every day. And the world is so happy and comfortable and trying to force on us. Just be comfortable. Just be happy. Just don't worry about it. And then we read the psalm of David about a king who's engaged in battle. And his way of defending the weak is to root out the evildoers. If somebody is slandering somebody in silence, he will destroy them. That is strong language. Why would he say it like that? I mean, I even read that and was like, whoa, shouldn't you like talk to him first? Hey, brother, are you slandering somebody? Let's fix that. But he, he, if I hear somebody slandering somebody in silence, I will destroy them. That's what David said in Psalm 101. Why? Because they're destroying the person. They're slandering them. They're crushing them in ways that people might not see. Maybe it's not in actual physical things. But they are trying to destroy the person. And so the king is responding with like violence. But we're so removed from what that looks like that to hear even the language of it seems so rough. And I'm coming here to today to say two things to you. First of all, which side are you on? Because if we are neutral, if we are not engaged in the fight of the kingdom, then we are failing our king. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. If we hear people like Jesus when he's challenged, not with fistfights and rioting, right? But if we hear people who are misappropriating the gospel, if we hear people who say things that Jesus did not say and put his stamp of approval on it, if we hear people who are going straight to hell because they don't know him and we don't utter one word, if we hear people who are embroiled in strife and slander and all the gossip that happens around the water cooler and we don't step up one time, then we are failing our king. And the world has duped us into thinking that it's better. You know these Pharisees who come to challenge Jesus? They were the best religious people of the day. They were the ones with the most religious fervor of anybody. And they totally missed the mark because they got so caught up into the power structure of the day that they missed the Savior when he showed up. And they asked the king of the universe on whose authority Will you heal the people ready that we're supposed to shepherd? Because you did a better job at it than us, and you're making us look bad. And ultimately, we're going to have to kill you for it. That's horrible. Whose side are we on? Second question is, have we allowed worthless things to so enter our vision that we can't see anymore what is and what is not? Sometimes the worthless things can affect our vision so much that we can't tell anymore. When should we engage? I was uh, driving on Ladue Road here a little while ago, taking my kids to school in the morning, and there was a guy in front of me. It just looked weird. I don't know what was going on. I was pulling up, 
And it just, it was one of those scenes where you're confused. Have you ever had that when you're driving and you see something and you're like, what's going on here? And so you kind of slow down instinctively because you don't know what's happening. And what had happened was the guy in front of us, he was maybe you know, right around the corner, so we couldn't see him. He had uh, been on his phone instead of driving and paying attention. And there was a construction crew there who had just taken a big tractor off of a trailer. And so the ramps were down on the trailer, and he went right up the side of one of the ramps and crashed into the truck and flipped the car. And so it was one of the, I'm looking at it like, what, what am I looking at? Because this car upside down and just happened. It just happened. And so I stopped the car. I was the first person there, like right behind this guy. Stopped the car, told the kids, stay in the car. Don't move, don't touch anything. And I ran up. And so I was the first guy at the car. And one of the construction worker guys walks up to me smoking a cigarette. And he's like, I told you I saw the whole thing. He didn't, he was looking his foot. He didn't, he didn't even hit the brakes. I was just, holy moly, let's get him out. And I was, he was, that guy was hilarious. <laughs> and so he's, yeah, I mean, and so we're, so we find the guy in there and he's so disoriented. He's like looking around, just looking at us like, and he's, the guy was hurt. And so he's trying to climb out of the car. And we're telling him like, slow down, you know, hold on. But it's all funny and half on its side, almost flipping. And so we're trying to hold the car so it doesn't flip over on the guy while he's getting out. And so one, another construction guy comes up and they're yelling about stuff. And one guy gets on top of the car and opens the door and we pull him out. And so we got him there. And all he wanted to do was have us drive him to the hospital. And, and the problem was he was in shock. And so he's like, I know I'm hurt, but can you just take me? And, and, but he was weirdly, weird, because he was not all there. He was, he was messed up. Now, praise God, he's fine, everything's fine. But I'm trying to convince him, you gotta wait here for the ambulance. It's, we've called 911, it's coming. Police cars are starting to show up now. You know how many people passed us? with doing nothing? A lot. A lot. You know how many people drove by with their cell phones taking a video? A lot. A lot. Sometimes you can see a car wreck in front of you, and the world is more concerned about getting a video clip of it for their own popularity than they are for helping the person involved. That's the era we're living in. And I'm telling you, the church, we got to wake up we got to shake ourselves awake because our king, he's a pretty violent guy. And he comes kindly. He doesn't riot with the people, but he works through truth. He works through the gospel. He works through the Bible. And if we're not going to bring those weapons to bear, spiritual weapons, to a world who is dying and does not realize it, we need to wake up. We need to do something for Jesus. When do we do those things? We do those things when we see all the stuff in Psalm 101 that's contrary to what the kingdom is supposed to look like. What does the kingdom, what does the kingdom of God look like? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. I was uh, in a movie theater one time, and as a young man, and I was not involved with this, but there were some young people in front of us, and they were um, throwing popcorn, having a game where they were just, I mean, they made a terrible mess. It was ridiculous. And... Um, and so they were throwing popcorn all over the place. And the movie ends, and uh, there was a, a parent standing there, not their parent, just a parent, younger parent. And so he's standing there in the aisle like this. And the kids are, you know, joking, and they're getting ready to leave. And they come to him, and he's just looking at them. And uh, they stop, and they look at him, and he goes, he, goes, he goes, young man, you will turn around, 
and you will pick up every piece of popcorn from this theater because you have made a terrible mess and you will not leave it for these poor workers who have to now come and clean this theater. It is not okay. And the kid looked at him like, what are you gonna do about it? And he just stood there. It is not okay. And the second, there were several of them, right? So the second one's kind of watching and looks around, you know, and he just looks at, and he's just standing there. And they're like, finally, they just turned around and started picking up popcorn. <laughs> like, they didn't know what to do. And he yells down, he goes, excuse me to the worker guy, can you bring some brooms, please? These people are going to help you. What is happening? I mean, it was, and they come, here comes the other kid, and they're kids, right? All the theater people, and they're bringing them brooms. Like, who is this guy? What's happening here? And so they're doing it, and they're giving up the brooms, and the people are cleaning, and the guy's just standing there watching. And so they clean up, and he goes, all right, good job, thank you, and leaves. And, then, and so I'm, we're, I'm watching this stuff happen. We're getting our refills and whatever and watching this whole thing. And here's the kids like, who, who was that guy? Was he, is he the owner? Is he the owner of the theater? I think he's the, he must be the owner of the theater. Because who else would? Like, we come here all the time and do crazy stuff. We've never seen that dude before. And he's just a guy. He's not the owner. But here's the thing. Our Lord is the owner. And we are his gardeners. We are his ambassadors. We are his people. And we need to be quick to jump in, even in small things, and just speak the truth. Because what those kids did with the popcorn was contrary to their neighbor. It was, it was stealing, stealing time from the employee. It's making a mess of things. This is not what the kingdom of God looks like. This is not righteous. This is not peaceful. This does not make joy for anyone, even though you thought you were really happy doing it. And so we're going to make this situation right. And now, he didn't say the gospel. He didn't even say the name of Jesus. He just said, this is not okay. But you know what? We need to be a people who are quick to say this is not okay and quicker to come to the gospel and to come to Jesus and say, he is. He's the answer. He's the way. This is what we can do. We're not, we're not just people who are Pharisees that are just telling everybody all the things they're doing wrong. We're people who bring people to Jesus. What does the king say? In uh, verse, in 101 here, Psalm 101, verse 6. Psalm 101, verse 6. He talks about the people who are, who are blameless. Remember, this is David, who's a failure, is writing this. It's really about Jesus. And here's what he says. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, and they will dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. What an interesting concept. The blameless people who are walking in the land are going to minister to the king? Well, that word minister, sometimes we throw that around a lot. Like everybody's supposed to find a ministry or do something special or whatever. Do you know what a minister means? Yeah, it means to serve. And really, in this context especially, it means to strengthen and to assist. To strengthen and to assist. And so I'm telling you that because this is about you. You're called to minister to the king of kings, that you will strengthen and assist him. And the way we do that is by proclaiming the truth, just like Jesus did, asking good questions and bringing people back to what the truth is. And Jesus was looking for all the people who are close to the kingdom. 
Isn't it interesting how he elevated prostitutes over the religious leaders of the day? And not functioning prostitutes, but those who had heard the message, who had come and seen him and had received healing, and now are walking with him. And so he doesn't mince words. But man, could you imagine being a Pharisee in the temple? This happens in the temple, in the house. And now Jesus is basically saying, you're worse than a tax collector. That's his own message. Or a prostitute. You're worse than a prostitute. And you're a hypocrite. Holy moly. Jesus is not mincing words. We need to not mince words about the gospel. Now, I want to be super clear on this. We're not throwing punches. We're not making riots. We're defending the kingdom through the gospel, through the word of God, and through truth. That's what we're doing. We're opening our mouths to proclaim. We're using our hands to serve. And we are doing what God says to do. We do that in two ways. The first way we serve the king and we align ourselves with his purposes is we clean our house. If we're putting anything before our eyes that is worthless. If we are actually not hating the work of those who have fallen away, but maybe following it. You know, I've noticed lately there's a lot of documentaries that are really just super gossip out there. Um, and there's a lot of studios making documentaries now that are not what documentaries used to be. Documentaries used to be about like, oh, this is a, a shark, and we're going to learn about the shark. And now these things are diving into these uh, pop culture stories that are so enticing and great. And you can get ensnared with all this weird stuff that fills our head with knowledge about nothing. Are we setting things before our eyes that are worthless? Are we walking in our heart without integrity? Have we allowed perverse things to come into our purview? Do we know a lot about evil instead of knowing nothing about evil? It's really easy these days. Um, I knew a kid one time who was searching stuff on the internet and ended up on sites that were really inappropriate. And uh, once you see things, you can't unsee things. It's 11 years old. Changes the path of your life. Changes the path of your life. And there are things that we can see today that generations before us have never viewed. Never viewed. Did you know that in the World Wars, uh, the military was very careful about what kind of footage they would have of any combat because they didn't want to scare people. They want more people to, you know, they always show victorious things. They never show horrors. And so they were very careful about what kind of things they showed. That has been true for a long time. Until now, you can record anything. And you can see atrocities all the time. I mean, you can, you can see stuff that you can't unsee today. And that's a different kind of thing. And Jesus said it this way. It's not what enters a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of you. But if we are allowing things to come before our eyes that are perverse and that are arrogant and that are haughty and stuff to get into our hearts and this evil way of life that just surrounds us to come into our house. Are we aligning ourselves with the king's agenda or with someone else's? This is why I asked that big question at the beginning. Whose side are we on? You know, you can love Jesus and before him and not represent him well. David the king did that. The great news, though, is that there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's love in Christ for his people. We need to keep our house clean. We need to repent. We need to come before him. We need to cast these things away from our eyes. I'm not telling you to throw away your cell phones. I'm not telling you that you have to have flip phones now. I'm not telling you that you can't own a computer. 
I'm not telling you that you can't have a social media account. I'm telling you though, let's be distinct. And when the videos start scrolling and the stuff comes and the gossipy emails start shooting out, even from friends about other friends, and it's supposed to be a prayer list, but it's really just a gossip report, let's not let anything come before our eyes that's worthless, but instead hold ourselves pure to Christ. Amen? Second thing, let's be quick that if we hear things that are against the Lord, to speak the truth and do it the way Jesus did it. Questions, saying the truth. We don't need to get into fistfights. Please don't get into fistfights. Okay, everybody clear? But how do we do that? We do that by making sure that when we hear slander from other people around us, we are quick to stop it. We do that by making sure that lies and deceit are challenged and corrected. And I'm just talking about the truth. Um, I was... I went with Lisa on vacation a little while ago. They were far away from us, so I, I didn't intervene in this. But uh, we were sitting on this little like patio area. It was really nice. And it was connected down this area in Florida. And so like the beach thing is there. And it was, it was really neat. And it was the evening time. And there was a group of young people, two guys and two girls who had just, I say young people, my age people, who had just arrived. Um, definitely didn't have kids, though. So that's why I could say young, because they were. Definitely childless people, I can just tell. And so they arrived, and they're out laughing and joking. And, and through the conversation, it was a very loud conversation about, you know, to that speaker away from me. So I can hear everything they're saying. And it turns out that they are all doctors, all four of them, in the same office. And so they are, let's say brain surgeons, I don't know, but some kind of special doctors. And they're having this vacation together, and they're all excited about it, and they really need this break, and it's great. And 90% of their conversation was about Carol, who is trash. And she was an office manager who kept failing to do all the things they were asking her to do. And so uh, one girl was like, we need to file stuff this way. And evidently, the Carol lady was like, no, I like to do it this way. And the doctor was like, huh, huh. And so they came back. So they're talking about how they can get her fired because she's trash. But it was interesting to me that all, every one of them, all four of them, were telling her, I want you to do it this way. And she would say, no. And they would just walk away and then talk together about how she's trash. They must have said it 15 times, which became, Lisa and I, it was a joke almost. Like, you know, we were, we were driving home, and she goes, hey, did you have a nice time with, you know, whatever? And I was like, yeah, but that Carol, she's trash. <laughs> you know, she's like, I, now, and so that's horrible. I'm sorry to say that. But, but here's the thing is, no point did any of them say, yeah, I met with her. At no point did any of them say, you know what, guys? You're totally right. When we get back, I'm going to get a meeting with Carol. Let's not talk about her anymore. She's been trying hard. She's been with us 20 years. Nobody. Nobody said, you know what? You're right, but she's the most organized person I've ever met. Nobody said, yeah, but you know why we hired her in the first place? Nobody. It was just confrontation and then slander. And you know what? That happens a lot, doesn't it? Never do you go to the person. What did Jesus say? If you have a problem with somebody, you go straight to them. And talk right to them. And if that problem persists, bring a witness. They, this was not on their radar. Because it's easier to talk about how she's trash than to actually come and deal with it. And you ready for this? She's not trash. She's an image bearer. She's God's person. And they're her employers. So they're, they have responsibility to help her and train her. And you know, maybe, she, maybe she's not going to work out and she can find a new job. But you don't slander her. But this is the world, and this is so normal to us. 
This is how we do everything. And I'm challenging us to say, let's stand on the word of God and let's re- represent this king in this kingdom because it's so much better. It's so much better than that alternative, which is filthy at the end of the day. And we go to bed with our minds full of junk instead of our minds tired because we've been doing the work of God. I'd rather be tired doing the work of God than just tired gossiping. Lord, help us. The Lord is good. Um, When I got back from overseas, when I was in the military, I found that um, I I had a really hard time adjusting to regular life because I was looking for everything that was out of place. Because things that are out of place is the indicator that something bad's about to happen. So like, for instance, crowded market, crowded market, people everywhere honking the horn trying to get through, you know, parting the sea of people, if you will, and we turn an alley and it's, there's nobody. And then we turn around and there's nobody. And we used to call that the pucker factor because your whole body goes <laughs> like that. Your pucker factor is very high because something is wrong. Something's about to happen. Driving on the road, driving on the road, Everybody's avoiding that weird box. Something's wrong. So now you get close to the box and you're, maybe we should check that out first. Something's wrong. I remember being, I remember being back a very short time and, um, and I would see people in the drive-thru ordering wrong and it would, my pucker factor would go. People checking out in Walmart and taking too long. I mean, I had my shortest fuse, it was, I was struggling. But it was everything that was out of place would just take me to a, this moment of something's wrong, I have to deal with it. And um, in a negative way, I had, I had determined, like, you got to f- make flash judgments. Who's good, who's bad, who's whatever. And some of those flash judgments are on people who are, like, on cell phones. So somebody in line at Walmart checking out on a cell phone, man, I was, a, I was on high alert. And all of you should be, too, because that's the worst thing ever, right? <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. But I'm telling you that to say this. Here's a lesson to learn. When you see something that you know in your spirit that's out of place, that's where the Lord is telling you, intervene. And what we usually do is go, and walk away. And not do anything, because it feels uncomfortable. Change yourself. We're in the fight. And in the fight, when something's out of place, this is what priests do. Priests, you're a whole nation of priests. Holy priests before God. And priests, their job was distinguish between the holy and the unholy. And so when you're confronted with something at work and somebody says, Carol's trash, and you feel in your heart, this is not, this does not look like the kingdom. Then we have the choice now. Do I say nothing? Do I say neutral? Or what can I do? Here's how Jesus did it. Ready? You know, what do you think God thinks of her? The Bible says that she's an image bearer. I wonder what the Lord thinks of Carol. Maybe we should get lunch with Carol. I guarantee you the person at the water cooler is going to go, uh, okay, you're weird. Because how do you respond to that? You can't. Because you're distinct. You're something different. And that pucker factor needs to get stronger in us where things happen and suddenly we jump into action. Amen? Amen. All right. Can I have the worship team come up? We're going to sing one more song and then we're going to be dismissed. Let me pray for you. Yes, sir. Yeah, please. Wonderful. Thank you, Stephen, for the word that you brought. It's strong and pointed.
and it's from scripture and it's from the Lord. I just feel prompted to pray for the body, for new covenant. I don't know where I need to stand to not come right here. Have all of the feedback there. That's better. I'm reminded of another instance with a king and another Saul. It's Saul on the road to Damascus. Mm -hmm. And the king interrupts the path that he's on. And I'm talking about King Jesus. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul was doing what he thought was right. He was following kind of in the path of the Pharisees that Stephen spoke to us about. If we as a people are going to achieve and accomplish what Stephen is laying before us, there's only one way to get there, and that is Jesus is going to have to help us take the scales from our eyes to see. Mm-hmm. So that's how True. I'm going to Amen. pray. Praise the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you humbly. Yes, Lord. And we say that we need your help. Yes, God. We say there's no other way except that Jesus take the scale from our eyes, mm-hmm. Thank you, which Lord. is that, that covering the, that comes from the snake. Take it from our eyes that we may see so that when we enter these situations, yes, God. when life comes around and just happens in front of us, and then all of a sudden there we are on the road and there's a person lying there, that we would be the good Samaritan, that we would intervene for Carol, mm-hmm. that we would those be those that stand for justice. Lord, take the scales from our eyes, and in Jesus' name, help this body to be mm-hmm. faithful to yes, you, Lord. to your mission, yes, to your God. vision, to your purposes. Let us be a prophetic people mm-hmm. in, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. And by the authority of your name and your yes, gospel, God. Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, Mm. minister in our hearts, in our minds, let us see, let us perceive, and let us follow through and be counted faithful, because we know we cannot do it in our own strength. Yes, Lord. But we know that you, by Mm. your authority and power, can see to it that, yes, indeed, we can be that people. Yes, God. If only we will turn our hearts to you. So, Lord, Lord. we ask you, let us... Help us to do that as well. Thank you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.